Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Hey, everybody, we are continuing through the story, the wild ride that is the story of Jesus and Lazarus. And we're in chapter 11 of John. Um, We're going to start off by reading um, this text, and then we'll jump into it. So we're in verse 38, where it says, Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. How incredible is this, this miracle? And there are a handful of things that I would love to take note of here today. Back in verse 38, where we started, it says, Then Jesus deeply moved again. Deeply moved again. Came to the tomb. So as we talked about last week with God and emotions, how we see that God is an emotional God, but his emotions are tempered by who he is, by his attributes and his, just his character. Whereas we as human beings, we, our emotions are all over the place. They aren't tempered by anything. And so when, when we see him deeply moved again, it calls back to when he was originally deeply moved. In, in verse 33, where it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. So it goes on to say, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And in verse 35, this very short verse, it says, Jesus wept. So God was deeply moved. Jesus was deeply moved and greatly troubled. The difference between Mary and the Jews weeping was this, the word for their weeping is more of this lamenting, this mourning. And it was common for the Jews to, in a sense, sort of wail and mourn for, for the lost, 
for those who were dead. And mourning was, you know, they would put on sackcloth and ashes and it, it was a process. It was something that, that was something that needed to go through, that, that the Jews knew that humanity needs to go to. It's healthy to mourn. But then when we see that Jesus wept, it was a very different uh, kind of weeping. In fact, the word for wept is, is, this is the only time we see it used in the New Testament. To my understanding, I, I, I believe it's the only, I, all that I could find, it's the only time um, this specific word for weeping is used. And it's more of a subtle, um, subdued kind of weeping. Again, God's emotions are tempered by who he is. But he is deeply moved and deeply troubled, and he sees the pain and the hardship in the minds and the hearts of the Jews and Mary and Martha, even. And so he goes to that place with them, but he is also greatly troubled and deeply moved because this is the road and the result of sin. He's, he's greatly troubled, not because he already knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? But he's greatly troubled because this is the impact of sin, and this is where sin lays. I don't think it's a coincidence that John writes in here, he says, it was a cave and a stone lay against it, painting this picture just like the writers of, of the Bible inspired by the Spirit of God, usually do painting this picture. Even Jesus, through the parables, paints these pictures, these very vivid, clear pictures for us to understand and to take our hearts and minds to that place, that it was a cave. Caves are usually depicted within human storytelling as dark and ominous, a place that maybe there should be some hesitancy to go into. There have been a number of horror films that, were, that are created around this idea of caves, right? There's one, I think, I remember the trailer for it. It was called The Descent, and it was like a bad spelunking adventure or something like that. I think there was a number, uh, another one a number of years ago that was about the 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 caverns and the caves beneath Paris, right? Um, that was a while ago. I don't, I, I don't make a point to watch horror films, but I don't know if I watch those films or not. But it's based on these caves being dark and ominous, and, and we have some hesitancy because of fear of what could lie within. And so we have this picture of this cave, this dark place, and Jesus is deeply troubled. Troubled, He's moved again by sin and where we end up when we head down that road. And Lazarus has ended up in death. And a stone lays against it, which shows sort of how solidified this, this journey and this destination was. That this stone laid against this dark and ominous cave and Jesus is looking upon this deeply moved. Deeply moved. So Jesus says, take away the stone. Take away the stone. This is what he came to do. Take away the stone from this dark and ominous cave, this sin, this death. He's here to take away the stone that there would be a way out. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, John draws our attention to Martha. Who is Martha? She is the sibling. She is the one who is 
one of the two that is most affected by this man's death, most affected by the grief of death, the emotions that are welling up, right? She is the most affected. She is sister of the dead man. And she said, she said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Now we have to remember Martha has already had a conversation with Jesus. And in this conversation, Jesus says, don't worry, your brother will rise again. And she goes to this future place. Um, Yes, he will rise again. And this was called the doctrine of resurrection. And Jews believed in this because of what is spoken in the Old Testament. But Jesus rewrites, as we talked about, he rewrites the doctrine of resurrection. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life that this This doctrine of resurrection doesn't lie in the future, but it lies right here in me, in me, that I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He calls her to belief. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So in this moment, she has made this great statement of faith, yet she retracts a little bit when faced with the reality of her brother's death. Lord, by this time, there will be an odor for he has been dead for days. How often do we sometimes come to Jesus and we doubt his ability because we see the decay in our lives? That's what she's pointing to, this odor. She's saying, she's pointing out, there will be an odor which comes from decay. And he's been in there four days, which is the cause of the decay. He has been dead for days. You can't become more dead, but you can decay more. And I, when I was younger, I listened to a lot of hip hop and rap. Um, a lot of, uh, what was called air quotes, underground rap, right? Not like the mainstream stuff. And it's so, it always floored me how much these guys, this was at a different time when my heart and my mind were in a different place. I have a hard time listening to that stuff now because it just breaks my heart. Um, some of the lyrics and some of the stuff that you can tell these guys have gone through or are going through. Um, but th- a lot of them know scripture so well, so well. Um, actually, one of the members of Wu-Tang Clan in his, uh, which is sort of a more popular, popularized uh, underground, again, air quotes, like hip hop or rap group, um, Wu-Tang Clan, uh, RZA, one of the members, uh, has a solo album where he has a, uh, what is it? A song that is titled B-I-B-L-E. And the song is about basic instructions before leaving earth. Clever, huh? Right? And he basically lays out what the Bible is saying. Yet it, these same kind of guys, and, and, and I, I pray that they know Jesus and that they would come to the saving knowledge of him if they haven't already and that they're walking with him. Um, but they have read scripture and a lot of times, I don't think necessarily from GZA, um, but uh, a lot of times I would hear lyrics like, I'm so far gone, I can't be saved by God. Like, God can't save me. Um, 
because of what I've done. And that's pointing to the decay that we see in our lives. Sometimes the decay, the time spent away from God, and the odor of our life, the stink, the nasty stuff in our life, maybe the nasty stuff we've done, the nasty thoughts we've had, the things in our life that are that are the things that God never intended for us to experience. Um, no, it didn't set out to create um, moments for for that stuff to happen when when he established on on earth Eden, right? For us to walk with him. When we're walking with him, those things don't happen. That that stink, um, that odor of our lives, that decay, sometimes holds us back from having great faith in him. And we see this play out with Martha after she has made a statement of great faith, showing that we are all susceptible to it. Those of us who are saved and walking with Jesus and those of us who are still um, trying to discover what life is about and who Jesus is and the life he's created for us. Um, That the decay of our lives sort of gets in our way sometimes and holds us back from having full faith in him. But I love where Jesus takes Martha, even though she's acknowledging the decay. He says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Drawing her back to the conversation they had had previously, saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Trust in me, believe, and you will see the glory of God. So he says, So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, this is amazing, right before he performs this miracle, he he says, he looks up and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. This immediately draws my mind to Philippians 4, uh, this great verse on, a a lot of people use it to like combat anxiety and worry. Uh, But in Philippians 4, uh, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So, so, in this moment, Jesus is basically embodying the scripture that he is letting know to everyone w- where the glory lies, where the credit lies, that he's pointing to God the Father and saying, all the glory is yours for this, which is amazing. He says, he's letting everybody know. And he says, he literally states here, I am just saying this so everyone will know like you and I are on a different level because you know you look at the trinity god the father who wills it all jesus christ the son who carries it out and the holy spirit being the delight between the two they know where they stand they are the persons of god but he's saying this to display who they are he's showing it revealing to us their relationship and where the glory lies. And, and it's so amazing. We get sort of an insider view of how the Father and the Son interact and how he invites us in to witness these things about him. And, and he says, I knew that you always hear me, which in Philippians 4, it says, the Lord is, uh, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. 
don't be anxious about anything, which Jesus again is displaying this by saying, I knew that you always hear me. He's not anxious. He's not worried about it. He is confident in the Father. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. He starts off his prayer by saying, thank you, God, for what you're going to be doing. Obviously, there has been conversation in moving towards this miracle between the Father and the Son, that he is carrying out the will of the Father. He says, thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. This confidence, this assurance that comes out, and he's just speaking it out loud so that others would know and would be able to witness the goodness of God in this moment before it happens, before it even happens. Man, what, what an amazing thing to get to witness. Jesus Christ, the Son, thanking the Father for the miracle that's about to happen because he knows what is about to happen so that we would believe in the Father. Wow, I love this. So it goes on in verse 43 in in John 11. It says, When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. There is an old uh, Puritan writing that's floating around that, it's so funny. Uh, It basically says, that if Jesus hadn't called Lazarus by name, that the whole cemetery would have come to life, um, which is so uh, such a funny picture, that if Jesus would have just said, come out, that the whole cemetery would have rose up and all these people would have come to life. But Jesus calls Lazarus by name, the sp- specific name of Lazarus to call him out, And then we see, in verse 44, it says, The man who had died came out. But here's here's the interesting, interesting thing. It says, His hands and feet bound with linen strips. So this man was unable to come out on his own. That it wasn't that he was like waddling out of the cave, but something was carrying him out. And we don't have any sort of like conclusive... Uh, We don't have a full view of what this looked like, but we know that his hands and feet were bound. So how did he come out? Man, I just see it as like Jesus carried him out by the power of his word. Just carried him out by the power of his word. What an amazing picture that he was carried out by the spirit of God, right? Because he had no way to come out on his own. I don't know, maybe he, he waddled out, it, but just that John included this detail, that his hands and feet were bound and was carried out by the word of God, simply Jesus saying, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And as he comes out, he's all wrapped up, sort of mummified, because that's what they would do, um, to dead bodies, they would wrap them and they would anoint them with certain oils and that kind of a thing. And, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. He declares this freedom over Lazarus. And now, like, Lazarus has been raised from the dead. We have seen a few crucial things through this text. 
that Jesus, in, in looking at him, he is deeply moved by our situation. He is deeply moved by you and your situation, the things that you go through, how sin um, has, is a, a part of our lives. And, and we have to wrestle with these things and fight with these things. We see in Romans 7, the Apostle Paul, he fights with the flesh. We see this late into his ministry as he's writing to the Roman church, that the flesh, he's not exempt from the flesh. He sees us in our sinful state, and, and it troubles him, and he weeps with us. But the beautiful hope of Jesus is even though we may come to him um, in the midst of him saying, take away the stone, and, and we may say, look at the decay of my life, Jesus. Are you powerful enough? It, it, look at this. It, this may be too far gone. And, and we like to highlight the decay. And maybe that's something you're doing in your life right now. You're making excuses like, there's too much crap. There's too much stuff in my life that Jesus can't intervene and bring transformation. But Jesus declares to us, I am the resurrection and the life. Don't doubt my power and just watch and see what I can do. Look at what I can do. Watch the glory of God manifest in your life. Come to life in your life. Come and witness what I can do. And he, he gives all credit to the Father. All the credit is God's for this work. That, that when we are saved, when we're risen from the dead, like it says in Ephesians 2, that we go from necros, dead, to life, that God does this power despite the decay, despite what, whatever has gone on in our life. It is amazing, and he calls us by name. Over this weekend, I want you to imagine Jesus standing at a dark and gloomy cave, and instead of saying, Lazarus, come out, I want you to insert your name. In the nec- your next time of silence and solitude, just sit down and, and picture Jesus calling your name and just saying, come out, come out. And no matter the decay, no matter how wrapped up you are, that is who Jesus is. That is the power of who he is, that he is the resurrection and, and the life, and he declares freedom over your life. I want to close with this. In Philippians 4, at the end of that text that I had brought up, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have assurance, not in in what Jesus can offer us and provide us, but it says in Christ Jesus. It's who he is and the power that he brings with who he is to our lives. There is no decay, no, no baggage, no wreckage of our lives that, that can overwhelm who Christ is and the power that he brings. And when we look at him, this peace of God that surpasses all understanding guards our hearts and assures us that life in love, in the love and power that he is, is possible through the power of his spirit, through the work he's done on the cross, 
and by walking in the way of Jesus, walking in the way, the truth, and the life. Let this be your encouragement this weekend. I love you guys. Can't wait to talk to you again next week. I'm looking forward to it. 